I've been on a series, for those of you that are guests with us this morning, for the last about eight weeks we've been talking about the importance of discipleship, and I just want to drive this home again, that this is not just a nice idea or a certain passage of scripture we happen to be focusing on, this is the heartbeat and the central mission of Christ's church. Are you with me? There's nothing that you could ever talk about pulling things out of scripture that would be on a lesser level than the mission of the church, which is to make disciples of nations. Are you with me? So this is huge. I'm just, I'm, I'm setting it in to context, okay? It's really huge. And I, I've been on it for eight weeks. We're going to take it right up until the Sunday before Easter because it's that important. Last Sunday, I talked about seven practical practices of Disciple makers, and you can check that online, check it out on our podcast if, you, if you're interested. Very practical. I'm going to be very practical today. In fact, I want to talk to you about making uh, deposits or wise investments in people's lives. Every one of us that's here today is, is a result of a lot of people that have poured into us. Can you say amen to that? We didn't get here by ourselves. We, we didn't become the people that we are without a lot of people's influence, good influence in our lives, and we're grateful for that. But God is the ultimate investor, and what investors do is they take capital, they allocate it into something that they believe will produce a greater return on their investment. So they take this amount, they invest it or allocate it into something, and at the end they get more. How many of you know more is okay? I'm going to get to socialism in just a minute, but more, (laughs) more is okay. In fact, God intends for us to be good stewards, and when we make investments, you should expect more. That's the purpose of investing. Now listen, when we make spiritual investments in people's lives, we look at people, we love people, we pour into people, and what we expect is for Christ to do something amazing in their lives so that where they started is not where they end up. That's called more. Are you with me? How many of you know Jesus had a vision for you when you were a lot less? You were broken, hopeless, empty, lost, without hope in this world, and then Christ came into your life. What did he do? He made some investments. He gave you a new heart. He filled you with the Spirit. He gave gifts to you. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. He took something that was broken and worth less, and he restored it, invested in it, and now look at you. You're beautiful. You're awesome. And you're getting more beautiful and more awesome. You know, the testimony that blessed me the most was the testimony about the beautiful pastor. Did you guys hear that part? I, I heard that. That ministered to my heart. All right. So spiritual investing is really the biblical way of saying making disciples. Because what are you doing? You're finding people to take what you have and pour something into them and make an investment in their life. You all with me? And your expectation is that they're going to take what you gave them, do something with it, and more is going to come out of their life. That's what it means to be a disciple so, or disciple maker. So take a look here at two questions each of us needs to be asking. First question is this, who's investing in me or who's investing in you? In fact, ask that question out loud. Who's inve- Come on. Who's investing in me? That's, I want you to hear it in your ears because how many of you know we never stop being poured into in fact, you should always have an open spirit and an open heart to people wiser than you and smarter than you to speak into your life. How many of you know if you're sitting there today and going, well, I really can't think of anybody. you got bigger problems. If you can't think of anybody wiser and smarter than you, you got a bigger problem. It's called pride. We should always have people speaking into our lives. How many of you know we're always growing and we can learn from anyone? And so I want to encourage you, who are the people speaking into your life? 
We can get spoken into in our marriage. We can get spoken into financially. We can have people speaking to us business-wise and help us in our business. We can have relational help. We can have all kinds of help, but I'm telling you, you should have people that are regularly, here's the key word, invited into your life. Invited is the key word. In other words, what you're saying is, please help me become a better version of me. That's a great thing. Secondly, and this question is just as important, whom am I investing in? Because how many of you know, we can't just take in, take in, take in. Whatever I receive, I'm meant to release and to bless other people. And so, who's investing in me, and who am I investing in? Now, let me pose a, a, a challenge of a question here today. The real question is this. Who, how do I determine who to invest in, and how do I determine who is a good investment? Now, let me just tell you, Jesus loves everyone. Amen? He loves us all. And he doesn't go around valuing good investment, bad investment. But here, here's my point on this. You can't invest in, any, in everybody, and Jesus couldn't invest in everybody either, not, at least not in the same way. Jesus, even though he was God, was limited to the fact that he was in one body. He had the same 24-hour day that we have. And how many of you know he couldn't invest in everybody? So how did Jesus determine who's, who's a wise investment? Who, who, who am I going to intentionally, remember our words from last week, intentionally, relationally, develop. Who are those people in my life? That's the question Jesus had to to ask, and it's the question we should be asking. Turn with me to Luke chapter 6. You'll follow it on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you this morning, but I encourage you if you have your your iPhone or whatever you use to uh, read the scriptures, your your hard copy, whatever it is, open up your Bible to Luke chapter 6, and I want to establish a principle here for us, Jesus leading the way, the greatest disciple maker of all, showing us how to get the job done. He says, one day, soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. And at daybreak, he called together all of his disciples. Notice all of his disciples, but here's what he did. He chose 12. So out of all the disciples, Jesus chose 12 of them to be apostles. And when they came down from the mountain, the disciples stood with Jesus on a large level area, verse 17, surrounded by many of his followers and by the crowds. I want you to see three groups of people that are present here in this scene. There's disciples, there's followers, and there's the crowd. How many of you know on a Sunday morning like this, you know, we've got guests, it might be your first time here, uh, or maybe you're relatively new at Living Stones. I consider Sunday morning the crowd. And amongst the crowd, there's all different kinds of folks. There might be some of you that maybe you've not submitted your life to Christ yet. There might be some of you that have been following the Lord for years. There might be some of you that are relatively new believers, some of you that are mature believers. Um... But here's the group. In this group right here, in this crowd, there's followers, there's disciples, uh, and there's folks maybe that are, are my personal uh, disciples that I'm investing in. It's a, it's a mixed bag. Jesus had the same thing. As much as Jesus was awesome, as much as he was the Son of God, as much as he was uh, divine, he was still limited in his flesh to how many people he could spend time with in a 24-hour period. And so what did Jesus do? He went off, and out of all the disciples, out of all the followers, out of all the crowd, he spent the night in prayer, and he said, Lord, who is it that you want me to specifically pour into? And how many of you know if he prayed, the great place to start is for us to pray. We need to ask the Lord, hey, who's in my life right now that maybe I could invite into a deeper relationship? Who, Who is it that I could invest in? I want us to make sure that we understand discipleship is a supernatural activity. 
It's not a natural activity, which means we need to use supernatural means to accomplish what God is doing. So we need to be praying. We need to be seeking the Lord. We need to be asking Him. We need to make sure we're not leaning on our own understanding. How many of you know uh, when David was anointed king, nobody looked at him as a king in the natural eyes. He was a shepherd boy. He was out in the field. But God established a principle regarding David's kingship. He said this, you all look on the outside, but he said, I look on the heart. And I'm just telling you, sometimes God will surprise us with people that on the outside, they're not all that spectacular, or they don't all look like they're showing that much potential. But God knows on the inside, he's got an amazing purpose for them, and he's going to blow our minds with what he wants to do with that person. So don't, don't get stuck looking on the outside of people. Don't judge the book by the cover, so to speak. Let's make sure we're looking uh, through the eyes of the Lord, and we're examining people's hearts. I also want to encourage you with this. You know, Jesus was familiar with the people that he chose to disciple. I used to read through the Gospels. Maybe you did the same thing. I'd get to those passages where uh, Jesus would challenge the disciple. You know, he'd come up to Jesus and he'd say, hey, follow me. And the Bible says what? Jesus drops everything and, uh, and starts following Jesus. And it always seemed bizarre to me. Like Jesus walking up to total strangers and saying, follow me. And they go, all right, great. Hey, what's your name, by the way? You know, as they're walking away, uh, where are we going? Uh, It just seemed bizarre to me. But what I didn't understand was that, you know what, Jesus had spent time with these folks. This was not a first time introduction. These people had been following him and his ministry, and Jesus was also watching them and watching the way they were conducting themselves. There was a previous relationship here and I want to encourage you that that's, many times, that's the way God uses us. He, he takes our existing sphere of relationships, and he leads us to pour into some of those people in a deeper way. In fact, I just want to encourage you that one of the reasons why, and by, uh, just to mention today, life groups are restarting this week. If you're not a part of a life group, really encourage you to be a part. Here's why. You say, well, pastor, I'd, I'd really like for people to be pouring into my life. Awesome. You say, well, and I'd maybe like to encourage some other people, maybe pour into their lives. Great. So what do you need for all that to happen? You need a sphere of relationships. Are you with me? If Al's over here and he's saying, man, I wish I had people to pour into my life, he starts committing to a life group. He meets six, seven, eight guys that he meets with every week. They build a great relationship. They become familiar with one another. Guess what happens? Trust starts to build. What do we start doing? We start sharing our lives together. We're going through life together. At some point, one of us is going to face a challenge. You with me? It'd be really nice to have some people surrounding you at that time who loved you, knew you, and were committed to your success. Are you with me? That's called a life group. Uh, it's groups of people meeting all over throughout the week uh, in people's homes, wherever you meet. But here's the deal. You can't invest in people if you don't have a sphere of relationships already established. And it takes time. You've got to carve out time to be with people. So I'm encouraging you, whether it's life groups, whether it's service teams, you know, make sure you hug the guys out in the parking lot or maybe join the guys out in the parking lot because every week they're out there having fun, looking for guests, welcoming people, directing traffic. But guess what happens when they do that? They build some amazing friendships in serving. So that's another way we can build relationships. Our music ministry, youth ministry, whatever ministries, find ways that you can develop chemistry with people. Let me give you a second point too. How do, how, we're at answering the question, how do you figure out who to invest in? The second thing you need to do is look, I, I say it this way, look where the wind is blowing. What am, I, what am I referring to? You know, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, you remember that passage of scripture. Uh, he said, the wind blows wherever it wishes. In other words, How many of you know we don't control the direction of the wind? 
And what he was referring to there was not natural wind. He was using that as a picture, but he was referring to the movement of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. It's hard to disciple somebody who doesn't want to be discipled. It's hard to disciple somebody if there's no wind blowing in their lives. In fact, I'll just tell you this, don't even try. You'll be frustrated. So when you're looking for people to invest in, look for the wind. Look for the movement of the presence of God in somebody's life. Let me show you how this works. In Luke chapter 1, this is signs of spiritual life in Andrew and John. This this is early in the game, all right? Luke chapter 1, the beginning of the story. It says, when John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Take a look at verse 38. Jesus looked around, and he sees Andrew and John following him, all right? And here's what Jesus says. Hey, what do you guys want? I mean, you know, this gets about as basic as it gets. What do you want? Imagine I'm walking along, and I got, I got Ed following me, Ed and Chris following me, and I, I notice they're following me, and I, and I say, hey, what do you guys want? That doesn't seem real spiritual yet, does it? But check this out. Check this out. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Interesting question. How many of you know that question, where are you staying, is an invitation for more relationship? It might go this way after church, all right? You might see somebody, and you might come up to them and say, hey, how you doing? Great. Hey, where are you going out for lunch? Ding, 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 ding. What's that all about? That means somebody's looking for an opportunity to go spend some time with you and build a relationship with you. In other words, there's some wind blowing in that relationship. Take a look at what happened next. What did Jesus say to him? Come and see. Isn't that interesting? He didn't give him a specific location. He didn't give him an address. Jesus just said, why don't you follow along and we'll find out where, I, where I'm going, where I'm staying. In other words, can you see the interplay here of relationship? They're pursuing Jesus. Jesus notices it. They ask Jesus a question. Jesus gives them an invitation. Isn't that the way relationships work? It's the way that happens. So look for people. You know, I know Pastor Andrew. You all all know and love Pastor Andrew. I had a connection, a heart connection with him uh, when I was a youth pastor. This is 20 years ago uh, from day one because this is why. He had a keen passion and interest and desire in pursuing what I had on my life. He lived in Virginia. He didn't even live around there. We met at at a youth conference. But this is what? After the service was over, guess what? He pursued me. After the, after the session, what was he doing? Asking questions. Uh, he was looking to spend time. He was hungry. There was, there was something blowing in his life. And I'm just telling you, I didn't have to look for that relationship. That relationship emerged. It was a God-ordained relationship. Can I just tell you this? There are people God has planted in your life right now that he put there And all you need to do is recognize that the wind's blowing and invite them in because they're hungry and they want what you have and they want what you're carrying. You know, I got to have my wife share second service when she's in or she's in in the class right now. Um, But she uh, got a call this week on on the phone. No, she tried calling somebody this week. It was a a message uh, or a number, but it was an old number. They had evidently changed and she calls. And when she gets this lady on the phone, this lady is like, who are you? And Mary says, well, I was calling so-and-so. Well, I'm not her, but who are you? Because I know my husband's having an affair right now. 
And Marion says, well, I can assure you. <laughs> but this is what she said. She shifts the conversation. Because guess what? The wind's blowing. And she says, I don't know why I got the wrong number. But I do know this. My heart is broken for what's happening to you. And God's heart is broken. And he wants you to know he loves you. And I want you to know, I, can I pray with you? And I want you to know this too. For some reason, God gave you my number. So you call me anytime you need me because God loves you. What's happening right there? She could have said, well, look, lady, I'm not having an affair with your husband. And we could have got into a fight and we've been cussing at each other. Of course, my wife, I just want to assure you she doesn't do that either. But anyway, <laughs> um, but the point is this, the wind's blowing. How many of you know the Holy Spirit is moving? And we just have to have our eyes open. But listen, the wind must be blowing. Or else you might as well have a small group with a bunch of rocks, because the rocks will get more out if the wind's not blowing. The rocks will get more out of that experience than the person will. Um, and the Bible says this, Jesus said, come and see. It was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying. And check this out, they remained with him the rest of the day. It doesn't take a rocket science, scientist for Jesus to figure out these men are hungry. So why did Jesus invite them after a night of prayer to be his disciples? Because he already recognized the wind was blowing and their spiritual hunger in their lives. Look for people that have a sense of spiritual life and vitality and hunger. In other words, they want what you're carrying and spend time with them. Now let me get real practical here. You guys are going to love this. When you're looking for who to invest in, Look for fat people. Spiritually fat people, all right? People with a high fat content. Pastor, what are you talking about? This is an acronym. I want you to look for faithful people. I want you to look for available people. And I want you to look for teachable people, fat people, all right? Now, you can all remember this because we're all trying to not, we're, we're, we're shrinking, all right? We're trying to be less physically fat and more spiritually fat. Are you with me? So check this out. Let's talk about fat people. These are the kind of people we're investing in. Let's talk about faithfulness. Paul said to Timothy to invest his time in faithful men. Everybody say faithful. Faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is what I want you to see, and this is our vision for Living Stones. That Living Stones will be a multi-generational disciple-making church. And I want you to see the generations here. Paul is disciple number one. He invests in Timothy. That's two generations. Paul tells Timothy to invest in who? Faithful men. That's three generations. Those faithful men are going to invest in who? Others, which is four generations. And I want you to see this. In every healthy local church, we should find multiple generations of disciple-making. In other words, we should be able to say, hey, I am who I am because that man invested in me. And I, I took what he invested in me, and I invested it in him. And he took what I invested in him because he's a faithful man, and he invested it in him. And we should be able to see multiple generations of investment, spiritual investment in people's lives. This makes sense. And when that happens, I'll tell you what happens. You have a church that is really, really strong. You know why it's strong? Because you're relationally connected 
at four generations. So here's what I want you to see. Everyone in a local church should have a spiritual father or mother, a spiritual grandmother, and a spiritual great-grandmother or father. And how about this? A few kids, spiritual kids, maybe five generations present in every local church. Wouldn't that be cool? How's that for deep connection? But here's the question. What is faithfulness? It's been said, and I love this, faith is when you can trust God, but faithfulness is when God can trust you. Isn't that good? Faith is when we're able to trust God. Faithfulness is when God is able to trust us. Does anybody want to be found faithful? Amen? Where God can give up. You know, we're all like, Lord, I want more. Lord, I want more. And, and, and the, many times the Lord's saying, be faithful. Be faithful in what I've given to you. Now, here's the problem with faithfulness. There's no fast track to being faithful. You know, I've, I've had people before say, you know, Pastor, you know, I want to share here. I want to be involved here. I want to minister here. And many times what I'll say to them is, you know what, let's develop a track record, right, of freedom. In other words, somebody might get set free from alcohol or drugs or whatever it is that's going to anger, bitterness, whatever. And you're like, man, I'm so free. Maybe the encounter weakened and your chains fell off. And right away, what do you want to do? You want to start a class on how to be free from anger or whatever. Well, I guarantee you, you're going to have opportunities to stumble within the next, probably the next 24 hours. The time to teach others about freedom from anger is not after you just got delivered 24 hours before. Let me tell you what, it's time for a track record. It's time to build a history of freedom in your life. Isn't that good? That's why my father used to always say, see me in six months. And some people would get offended by that because you're all excited. Whoa! And dad would say, see me in six months. He wasn't being critical. He wasn't being cynical. He was being real. Because history has proven itself over and over and over again. Listen, you can't be a faithful man or woman without history. It takes time. Isn't this interesting? Just by way of a reminder. David, 13 years of faithfulness from being anointed to be king to when he sat down on the throne. 13 years of obeying God. How about another example? How about uh, Joseph? 13 years. The Apostle Paul, 14 years. Elisha, 10 years. Can I just tell you this? The greater the call that God has on your life, the longer the track record of faithfulness he's looking for. So here's my suggestion to all of us who want to be used by God. Let's be faithful today. And guess what? How about this? Let's be faithful tomorrow and the next day and the next day because that's the kind of people that God's looking for. Now, let me share this with you as well. We have a false definition of faithfulness in America today. We have redefined it. People say stuff like this. I'll be faithful if it's fun. Can I just tell you something? When it's January and you're on the parking lot team, it's not fun. When it's raining and you're on the parking lot team, ain't fun. Unless your heart attitude's right and you're going to do it for the right reason, and then it's fun. Hey, Greg, leading Celebrate Recovery every Thursday night. Every Thursday night. Some days you have a rough day at work. Do you have rough days at work? 
Some days you're dealing with life stresses. Is every Thursday night. But you know what? Sometimes when Thursday night shows up, you're like, oh man, I am tired. I would like to take a nap. But faithfulness says this. It's Thursday night. I'm going to show up and I'm going to present my tired, weary, frustrated self to the Lord. And guess what? I'm going to trust God to do something great through me. And I just want to encourage all of you that have your hand to the plow, listen to me. Great job. God sees your faithfulness. God rewards your faithfulness. God loves faithfulness. Everybody that loves our kids every week, children's ministry, great job. God loves your faithfulness. Everybody that's at, the, at their post greeting, whatever the things you guys do around here every week, faithful, great job. That's exactly what God's looking for. Carrie Drake, great job, brother. The facility is amazing with, with your care. Thank you for all that you do. The times I get to thank you and all the times that only God sees what you do. Thank you, but you're a faithful man. This is what God's looking for. Faithfulness isn't faithful when it's fun. Faithfulness isn't I'll be faithful if it's flexible and it fits my schedule. Faithfulness isn't, I'll do it if there's money attached. Faithfulness isn't, I'll do it if it's fulfilling and it fits my gift set and makes me feel good about myself. That's not faithfulness. In fact, faithfulness, according to the Bible, is being faithful and doing the little things with incredible excellence. Look at Luke 16, verse 10. If you're faithful in little things, God says, then you're going to be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in the little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. How many know little is how God defines faithful? Be excellent, be trustworthy in the little things he's put, and God will expand those to a greater degree. Look at uh, Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. You know the story. The the, the, The master goes away on a long trip. That means it's going to take some time of being faithful, a long trip. And he gives one guy five bags of silver, another one two bags, another one one bag. And look at what he says here. This is in uh, verse 21. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. Commending his servant, the master replied, you have done well and proven yourself to be my loyal, trustworthy servant. Because you have been faithful, steward to manage a small sum, now I'm going to put you in charge of much, much more. Because he was loyal and trustworthy and faithful to steward a small sum, he gets much, much more. In fact, you know how the story ends. Because look at what happens next. Uh, He challenges the unfaithful servant who had the one bag of silver. Angered by what he heard, this is verse 26, the master said to him, you're an untrustworthy and lazy servant. If you knew I was a shrewd and ruthless businessman who always makes a profit, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? Look at the strong language there. Untrustworthy. Lazy. And this is what blows the minds of all socialists. God's not a socialist. God takes the bag from the one. And who does he give it to? The one with the most. Who's faithful. God's a capitalist. We'll talk about that later because the Lord knows we need to. We're going to get up to that when we get into election season because God help us. Uh, but here's the deal. God says, I entrust each of you with talent and treasure and resources, and he expects us to take what he's given and be faithful with it so that he can give us more. And God does not keep 
giving stuff, giving stuff, giving stuff to people who flush it down the toilet. If you take what God's given you and you fail to use it, he's not just throwing more at you. He's actually taking what he gave you and he's entrusting it with somebody who'll do something with it. This, this should sober us. It's called faithfulness. And God is serious about it. So let's have humility. Let's, let's, let's be willing to do little things. Let's do... Uh, Let's be trustworthy with the small things, with excellence, thoroughness, completeness. You know, these are things we try to teach our kids. Uh, you know, a small thing like running the vacuum cleaner. And then I'm hearing something like this, the size of a car being sucked up in the vacuum cleaner. And I'm like, what are you doing? Here's what they were doing. They were just running the vacuum cleaner without being thorough. Like picking up large objects that should not be sucked up by a vacuum cleaner. This is fresh in my heart, so forgive me, all right? <laughs> but the point is this. You're not trustworthy because you're not excellent, and you're not excellent because you don't have an attention to detail because ultimately you don't care. And if you can't be entrusted with a vacuum cleaner, you think I'm going to give you the keys to the car. Are you all getting this principle, all right? This, this is good preaching this morning, I'm telling you. Let's talk about being fat. We got to be available. Let's talk about availability for a minute. A person's availability is really the measure of his or her internal motivation to be on mission with Jesus. It's spiritual loyalty, it's commitment to the things of the Lord. Now, let me just share with you the Barna Group did a massive study on the state of discipleship in the church. They interviewed thousands of pastors, church leaders, discipleship leaders, Christian educators. And they were all trying to get a grasp on what is the state of discipleship in America. And does anybody know what the number one obstacle to discipleship is in the church in America today? Busyness. Number one, busyness. People say, I, I really want to grow spiritually, but I'd really like to be committed to serving. Busy, 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 busy. That, 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 is, that is, you know, it's interesting that in our American culture where we're so blessed, right? We're so blessed. We have so much resources, extra resources to entertain ourselves and do all kinds of things. Isn't it interesting that the number one strategy of the devil would be to keep us so busy on things that don't matter because of our prosperity that we're too busy to spend time doing things that really invest in us and invest in other people spiritually. Look at what it says in Mark chapter 4, the parable of the farmer scattering the seed. It says, the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word. But check this out. All too quickly, the message is crowded out. How's it crowded out? Well, we got the worries of this life. People are worried about stuff. The lure of wealth. They want to make more money. And the desire for other things. And so check out the end result. There's no fruit produced. Here's the deal. If our lives are too busy with stuff and activities and focusing on things that at the end of the day don't matter, here's what's going to happen. Your time and your availability for the things of God is going to get so tiny that you're just not going to make time for what matters. And here's the end result. There's going to be no fruit in your life. Now, it doesn't mean you're not saved, and it doesn't mean you're not going to heaven, but here's what it means. You've wasted your life and the fruitfulness and the purpose of your life because you're just too busy with things that at the end of the day don't matter. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We, this is something every one of us has to fight with uh, living here in the United States of America. Busyness. So I'm encouraging you. You know, there are people, for instance, that are faithful people, but they're not available people. If you ask 
some of us in this room to do something, I guarantee you that thing would be done. It would be done with excellence. But the problem is when you ask, they don't have time. And the reason they don't have time is because they're busy. And so they're faithful, but they're not available. So there is a difference. And I was reading in Exodus 18, this is the, the famous account of Moses with Jethro, his father-in-law, and Moses was trying to do it all. And you know the story. Jethro said, you're going to kill yourself, right? Look at what he said. I want to read this quickly. Exodus chapter 18, verse, verse 20. He said, teach them God's decrees, give them his instructions, and look at this next part, show them, teach them, give them, show them how to conduct their lives. Remember I shared with you last week, being a good discipleship, being a good disciple maker is not just telling people about truth, it's also showing them, it's living among them, it's giving your life away. And look at the kind of people that we're supposed to select. Select from all the people, capable people, honest men who fear God, who hate bribes, appoint them as leaders over groups of 1,150 and 10. But look at verse 22. This is important. I circled this in my Bible. It just jumped out the, uh, off the page at me. They should always be available, there it is, to solve the people's common disputes, but have them bring the major cases to you and let the leaders decide the smaller matters themselves. They will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. Can I just tell you, does anybody know what the average size of a church in America is? It's about 75 to 80 people. There's a reason why that's the average size of the church in America. Because that's about the number of people that one person can oversee and, and shepherd. All right? And the reason that that's the size of most churches in America, and I want you to hear this, is because we're not discipling people. Because the pastor's expected to do everything. Marry them, bury them, visit them, pray for them, teach them, cut the grass, paint the building, take out the trash, run the vacuum cleaner. Pastor's doing it all. And, and most pastors are not in a good place emotionally. All right, They crash and they burn because the expectations that are put on the typical pastor is unlivable. In fact, most, most pastoral job descriptions are such that Jesus could not be the pastor. All right? It's greater than what he can get done. All right? Um, that was a joke. But anyway, here's my point. If we're doing this correctly, there should be people who are available to minister to the needs of the people. Some have a, have a capability of being over a thousand. Some over 100, some over 50, some over 10. We all have different measures of grace. But here's the point, and I look over at Brent and Jocelyn, some of our elders here. All of our leaders, you know, I, I, I digress, but it's a good story. When I was first uh, on staff at another church in Indiana, great, great church, great, great people, but I sat in on their first elders meeting. This is the way it went. All the elders came with their lists of all the things that they thought the pastor should be doing or they needed to be changed. They didn't lift a finger to do any of it, but they had a list. And I wasn't raised that way because I was raised here. So when all the elders left, I was a youth pastor, I turned to the pastor, and I said, with elders like that, we don't need to have elders meetings ever because that, would be, that was the most depressing meeting I ever sat in because all they said was, this is what's wrong and this is what we need to do, and this is the new stuff that's not being done. Pastor, hurry up and get it done. Those aren't elders. Those are critics, and we don't need critics. We need men and women who are available to minister to the needs of God's people. Can you see that the church will never flourish and will never prosper 
if we have a church full of people who aren't available. You can be faithful, but if you're not available, nothing gets done. And guess what happens? This is more important. The ministry of the Lord in our generation, in our time, through this place, uh, becomes unfruitful. Why? Everybody's just too busy doing their own stuff. We have to be available. We have to make time for the things of God. It's more than just a time schedule. How many of you know it's a heart schedule? It's a heart uh, attitude. When your heart is right, you want to be available. You want to serve. You want to help. You want to be involved in touching other people. I love what Isaiah said there when he heard the Lord asking, Whom shall I send as a messenger to this people? He said, Who's going to go for us? And Isaiah said this, Here I am, send me. We need some here I am, send me people in the body of Christ. Fat people, available people who are available to whatever God wants to do. Let me end with this, all right? Last point. Teachable people. Faithful, available, teachable. Let's talk about being teachable. This point is probably the most important characteristic of all in the context of discipleship. We're supposed to choose people who are teachable, not people who argue every point and play the critic. Look for people who are teachable and eager to learn. Have you ever been around people like that? They're like the Bible answer man or the Bible answer woman. Um, I remember preaching one Sunday, pouring my heart out. And let me just confess before you, I'm going to go to heaven someday, and Jesus himself is going to say, you know, you taught me some things about the Bible that I didn't even know. Because here's the point. I messed it up. That was a joke too. <laughs> I'm not going to teach Jesus anything. All right? I just want to make that clear. But he's going to be joking around saying, you know, I never saw that in that verse before. Here's why. Because it wasn't there. All right? Um, so I'm not up here like the Bible answer man. But I will tell you this. I have preached my heart out a time or two. And after the service had been confronted by somebody who the only thing that they heard was one point that they needed to adjust me on. And I sat there thinking, I just preached for how long and made how many points? And you had to come up with that one thing. And here's the interesting thing, too. It might have been like preaching on love. And I'm like, you just swallowed the elephant and spit out the gnat. Because you know why? They're not teachable. And when I was a young buck and I thought I knew everything and I was at college, I used to sit in on chapel services and some of them were, were better, let's just put it this way, some of them were better than others. That's a nice way of saying it. Some of them were outright boring. But I had a professor right after chapel who was the most godly, sweet, meek, humble, brilliant man. And we get into class after chapel and I might be frustrated or whatever. Uh, because I was just frustrated with the chapel. And he would say, wasn't that point that the chapel speaker made, wasn't that so amazing? And I sat there going, well, yeah, that really was a good point. And the Lord just started showing me, your attitude is so full of haughtiness and pride that you can't even find something good that you can learn from. You know, there, sometimes people will arrive at a church and they're like, you know, I need to be teaching that class. I, I could teach that class better than that person can teach the class. Well, maybe you can, because maybe you have content banging around in your head. But let me tell you what you don't have. You don't have faithfulness, because you haven't been here. You're not part of our culture, and you're not teachable. Because instead, you should be saying, let me take the class first, so that I can impart maybe someday, if I'm needed. You know, when Dick and Susie Bastia came to this church, 
they had more pastoral experience than I did. And you know what they did? They went to an encounter. Because they had never been to one of our encounters, but they had led dozens of encounters. They could have said, well, I don't need to go to an encounter. I can teach the encounter. In fact, Pastor Ron, I have more experience than you. They sat through the post-encounter. And they're pastors, and they sat through the post-encounter because they wanted to go through the process of spiritual development here so that they can understand the context, so that they could fit in, so that God could use them to do great things. You know, it's amazing when you set up a process, how many people balk at the process. And let me just tell you, if you're somebody who balks at the process, you might have a problem with teachability. Then there's other people. I'm just speaking from experience. Some people love to take notes, but they don't do it. I had a guy that used to come to my dad all the time. Pastor, I just need to sit down with you and hear your revelation on tithing. I told my dad one day, you don't need to sit down with that sucker. I didn't say sucker, but I I wanted to. You don't need to sit down with that guy because he doesn't need a revelation he needs to obey. And you know what? You can, I need a revelation. No, you need, you need to take out your checkbook and write a check, dude. You know, what, what more revelation do you read? You have the Bible. But he needed a revelation. Let me just tell you, he, he didn't last long at the church. He ended up leaving, and he never got the revelation because the issue wasn't tithing. The issue was, I don't want this revelation because I have no intention on ever putting that practice into my life. That's an unteachable person. You can't disciple unteachable people. I love my mom and dad. They used to say this. This is what I love. Some of you say, well, what does Living Stones officially believe about this doctrine or that doctrine? Nothing. We don't officially, officially do anything official around this place. (laughs) We're a non-denominational church which means we don't have a book other than the Bible. And it also means that where there's gray areas or places where believers disagree, we're not going to kill you over it or be dogmatic about it. We're just going to love you and agree to disagree and keep the main thing the main thing. How about that, all right? So, um, but some people, and this is good, they want to know where we stand on some things. Well, that's fine. But I'll just say this. I'm not going to fight you over it. And guess what? Even if we disagree, I'm going to mess with you right now. I'm just going to keep on loving you because I want to be teachable. Mom and, Mom and Dad used to say, hey, we're going to go to such and such conference. It might not have been part of our stream, if you know what I mean. They'd go to that conference. This is what they say. We know that the body of Christ is rich, and everybody doesn't see things all alike, but we can learn from others if we'll stay humble. Whoa! I mean, you know, the, the wisest one among us can learn from the most simple among us. And isn't it? Jesus, the epitome of wisdom, said, Suffer the little children to come unto me. The disciples were like, Why are you messing with kids? These kids can't add anything to the game. And Jesus was so open to having little kids. I mean, you know, you can learn from little kids, they'll teach us a lot. You can learn from lots of different sources if you'll stay humble. And, you know, I found this to be the case. People that 
are all ears. Their heart's good soil. They want to learn. Um, they're hungry for God. They, you know, whenever, this is what I do, and some of you, I'm teaching you my secrets, but, you know, we'll have, a, for instance, Apostle Ted Solar. We'll have a special gathering when some of our overseers come, and you know what I do? I just, I just stand over to the side, and, I, and this is what I do. What am I doing? Looking for the wind blowing. I'm looking for faithfulness. I'm looking for availability. I'm looking for teachability. Because you know what I'm looking for? Disciples. I'm looking for people who will, are hungry and want to take and receive what is being given. And then here's the second point. Apply it to their lives. Can I just encourage you? Don't be argumentative for the sake of argumentation. It doesn't accomplish anything. Don't be the person that just always has to share your opinion. My dad said this before, too. I mean, you know, our opinion at the end of the day doesn't matter. There's only one opinion that matters. It's the Lord's opinion. So we don't always have to hear ourselves speaking. In fact, many times, listen to me, many times the most mature person in the room is the most quiet. Have you been around those people that when they speak, it's the old E.F. Hutton commercial? When E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. It's amazing that sometimes the people with the greatest depth of knowledge and wisdom are people that are so humble. And when they do speak, wow, heaven and earth stops to hear what they have to say. They're teachable. Let's work on this. This message is not for your neighbor or for, yeah, I know that. No, this message is for me. This message is for you. How am I doing with my faithfulness before God? Am I faithful with the little things? How am I doing with being available? Am I too busy for people? Am I too busy for the Lord? How many times when we teach on spiritual disciplines, hey, are you spending time with God in the morning? Oh, pastor, I got to get up too early. Oh, pastor, my work day is too long. Oh, pastor, guess what? You're, you're not available. You're not available to God. It's not a good place to be. Don't have time to pray. Don't have time to read. Don't have time to, don't have time, don't have time. You're, you're not available. And teachable. Can you hear and obey? Let me show you how this works. We're going to baptize people today. Have you been baptized? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? If you're teachable, you'll say, when can I sign up for the next baptism? That's teachable. In fact, I'll challenge you. If you're really teachable, you'll say, can I run home and get my shorts or my swimsuit? Can I be baptized next service? Because you know what? You just heard, and you're already looking to put it into practice. You know, every week we talk about the importance of what we do with our finances. If you're teachable, you act on it. And then you ask questions later. If you, if you hear, hey, pastor's been encouraging me to get involved in a life group. You don't go, well, let me pont pontificate about the validity of what he just said. No, hungry people say, hey, life groups start this week. I want to get in on that. And I'll just share something else with you. I was meeting with somebody one time, and they, this was their answer to me. I was, and this was a biblical principle. I'm just laying it out. I'm trying to help them. And they said, you know, I will take that to the Lord in prayer. And finally, I had enough of that super spiritual stuff. And I just said, you don't have to do that. Because God just spoke to you through the word and through the spiritual authority over your life. In fact, I like to ask people this question. Am I your pastor? And do you honor my authority to speak into your life on spiritual things? Because if you say yes, then listen for God's sake. 
And if you say no, why are you here? And if you're not sure, that's even the worst place. See what I'm saying? Not teachable. It will save us from a lot of problems. Be fat. Be a fat so. Be a fatty. Fat is loved here. I think there's an Old Testament passage that says the fat belongs to the Lord. Isn't that good? God's looking for fatties, all right? Fat people, spiritual people, faithful, available, teachable, all right? Hop to your feet. I won't pray for you this morning. Come on. If you need prayer or you don't know Jesus, we would love you to lead you to Christ this morning. How about this? This is so good. Some of us just need to say, God, forgive me if the Lord has tweaked you this morning. That's why we have our leadership up here. Sometimes it's good to say, man, I've been missing it. Forgive me, Lord. And guess what? You get restored. God ministers to you. You move ahead. But let's be quick to obey. Lord, thanks for this wonderful family. Bless us, Lord. Help us to know how to invest wisely in each other. And Lord, we want to do it for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen, amen.